kicks its stumps and Green says it's hard work once the ball softens. Especially with a new ball, it kind of flies off the bat a bit better than the old ball, so um, I think that's kind of what happens. I think, yeah, obviously, and us bowling as well, you saw our beautiful owl batting at the end there, with obviously with the new ball, so, um, yeah, I feel like it's a maybe a different game with the old ball. We have to, yeah, wait and see. Receivers of collapsed refrigerated logistics company Scott's have warned of food shortages in supermarkets across the country as it is forced to turn back truckloads of groceries at its depots. Nearly half a billion dollars of chilled and frozen food is stored at the company's warehouses, which the receiver is trying to return to customers. Queensland police have ruled out any criminal wrongdoing which left 15 Townsville schoolchildren so sick they had to be hospitalised after a bus driver allegedly gave them lollies on Thursday morning. The driver was stood down yesterday, but police have confirmed nothing untoward happened. And a siege in a Melbourne suburb which started just before 11 yesterday morning is over after police stormed the house and found the alleged gunman unconscious. SEN.com.au Sport is next. Thanks to Bluebet, the true blue Aussie bookie. Gamble responsibly call 1-800-858-858. A broken jaw-to-winger Corey Oates has marred the Broncos 28 points to 16 win over the Cowboys. Earlier, Cronulla beat Parramatta 30 points to 26. An Olympic champion, Callie McEwen, has broken the 200-metre backstroke world record at the New South Wales Swimming Championships. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Saturdays in the Gong, live from Wollongong Golf Club. Good morning to you, listening on 1575am or the SEN Track uh, app or the SEN Track website. It's Tim Barrow, the Illawarra Mercury Sports Editor, joining me this morning... Illawarra Hawks great and basketball general manager Matt Campbell. Good morning to you. Good morning, Baza. And Fox Sports broadcaster Matty Russell making a guest appearance before heading to Sydney for uh, the Roosters Warriors this afternoon. I'm like Matt Campbell on anniversary night. I'm in a lather because <laughs> the sun is beating down on us. It is brutal here. We complain about the rain for the last two years. Well, today, Matt Campbell, oh you're getting goodness. sunburned. I know, seriously. <laughs> Part of my work hazards here at the Wollongong Golf Club. Well, it's a fantastic day and the week is been magnificent. I don't know if you boys have had a chance to hit the water this week, but it's like a bath at yeah, the moment. To set the scene for our listeners, uh, the Wollongong Golf Club is one of the most beautiful spots in the region, but we are running for shelter here this morning, finding every shady bit here in the uh, the sports area. It's uh, absolutely blaring that morning. Sam, we hope you're having a wonderful morning out there on, uh, on a beautiful Saturday morning. Thanks to our new sponsor, the new player in town, Wollongong City, GWM Haval. Get in there and test drive a new one at Wollongong City Motors this morning. Plenty to talk about today. 
We've got NRL. We'll be talking about St George Illawarra finally kicking off their season tomorrow night at 6 o'clock against the Titans. Uh, the Women's New South Wales Premiership, the NBL Grand Final Series, Group 1 Racing with RaceNet and the Daily Telegraph's Mitch Cohen. We'll also talk a bit about the Kembla Classic, which Maddie Russell and I attended yesterday. Didn't make a lot of money out of it, though, did we? No, no. It did early and then gave it back. Yeah. I felt a bit sorry for the bookies, so I paid for the petrol home. <laughs> <laughs> Made sure we looked after them there for sure. We'll also, at 9 o'clock, a special guest, an inspirational one. Brett Cannellan will, Cannellan will be joining us uh, live here on the desk, talking about Attacking Life, the documentary on his life after being attacked by a shark at Bombo in 2000. 2016. It's an extraordinary life story. I watched the documentary on Thursday night. I absolutely highly recommend it. It was fantastically well put together, well done, well produced, and uh, just enthralling to watch. Yeah, I'm so excited like to have him in here. It's uh, just what a great story and um you know, it's just uh, the miracle of life sometimes just always comes through and it's uh, amazing. Sometimes it has to, be, has to be an absolute disaster for some miracles to come out of it. And I'm just you know, looking forward to hearing his story. Underlines the strength of the Illawarra because you've got a, a player or a person who's in it, who's shown strength. The, the documentary maker is a fantastic individual. All Illawarra uh, starred, produced, done. It's just fantastic. So you'll expand on that later on. No, absolutely. It's a fantastic story and I uh, can't wait to chat with him after nine o'clock the NRL round two the Panthers kicked off their year after a false start in round one a 16-10 win over the Rabbitohs the Sharks 30 beat the Eels 26 that was an exciting clash and the Broncos 28 in the Queensland derby beat the Cowboys 16 what did you make of round two lads well all of them were great I thought all games were right right to the wire which is unreal which is what you want to see at the start of the season I thought uh, yeah, I wasn't complaining about any of the teams, to be honest. I thought um, the heart was there, the intent was there. Um, you know, a couple of mistakes, which you expect at the start of the season. But what a what a fantastic start to round two. The margins have been so tight. I think round one was the closest opening round to an NRL season since 2012. And it hasn't changed much in round two so far with your right, mm. Matty. The game's coming down to the wire and plenty of talking points to get into. I thought Brisbane's win last night was perhaps the most significant. I thought the Cowboys, given their forward pack, given the way they won in round one, despite being outsiders in the eyes of some, would win. But not only did they get beaten, they got Peter Hicku on report. They've got Scott Drinkwater, Sinbinden on report, and mm. they've got Kyle Felt on report. So there are some niggles and now some judiciary woes that yeah. might cause Todd Payton some headaches. And I think we should drill down into that incident involving Scott Drinkwater. Um, did you see it as a shoulder charge? Did you see it as a something that might result in him getting four, six weeks? No, definitely not from my point of view. I mean, at what, at what part do you have to protect yourself and brace yourself for impact in a in, in a uh, you know full contact sport? I I thought it was a bad call, and I think it decided the game. Unfortunately, um, I mean, I love the Broncos what they're doing at the moment, but you know, playing against uh, you know a man off the field, I think is an unfair situation on a on an impact where I thought it was just bracing. I thought that the shoulder definitely made contact with the head, so mm. therefore you've, you've got a problem, but I don't think it was a deliberate act. I don't think it was even a shoulder charge. The mm. arm was hanging out. It was more that as he braced, the shoulder made mm. contact with the head rather than conducting yourself in a defensive manner that's going to result in your shoulder definitely making dangerous contact. So I could understand the sin bin, but, but I would think that 
the, the charge would be on the lighter end of any charge possible. The outcome's horrible for Corey Oates. We feel really sorry. Broken jaw, gone for a long period of time. But I don't think Scott Drinkwater should be hung, drawn and quartered for what I see as, see as largely, largely incidental contact. It's the benchmark change, though, the threshold. I mean, we looked at the Wade Graham incident from last week. I mean, there was not that many years ago where that would have been rated mm. as one of the best hits of the season. Yeah. You know, and then he ends up with four weeks. Um, uh, you know, I sort of jokingly contrasted that with um, uh, Cole Flanagan being sin-binned for, you know, giving a little lo- love tap to Tommy Turbo there chasing the footy uh, in the Manly game. But, um, you know, Graham, obviously, you know, it was a big hit. Uh, the contact was high level and he's caught sort of four weeks, you know, from that. So has... Has the the culture the the idea of what a hit is? Is that just fundamentally different now? Well, obviously it is. Mm. But um, yeah, I, like I, it's a good question because like I, I look at it and you know the, the, it's the people are starting to lead with their heads just to try and like knowing if they get the contact there is an advantage from their team point of view. So it's creating a dangerous situation. I think in the game that. You know, people are putting themselves in more dangerous positions because they know that they're meant to not get hit. And I think that's going to affect uh, what we have in the HIA throughout the year. I think guys are a little bit more, you know, cautious, or not a little bit more exploratory where when they come to the line about things they used to be up, they, they used to know no way they would ever do it. Back when the big forward packs were sitting there, there's no way you put your head in that situation where you could get hit like that. I don't know, that's what I think. Well, obviously the game has to change because of the attention, the science, the knowledge regarding head knocks. The future of the game, the critics could say, or the alarmists could say, is very much in doubt. That's why the league is acting like it is. But here's the silly part of it. Like, last night, Scott Drinkwater can face a significant penalty we expect because of that almost protective movement Mm. that made contact with the head. If a ball carrier drops his shoulder into a defender and knocks him out, there's, there's no, unless it's a wildly extravagant move, but if you're carrying the ball and drop your shoulder and damage the defender, there's no punishment. All the onus is on the defenders at the moment. So yeah. if the game is serious, absolutely serious about head injuries, then why is it only the defenders who are being targeted with this upgraded attention and upgraded uh, need to avoid head contact? Why aren't the offensive players told, hang on, no, no, you just drop your shoulder into a defensive player? That change possession or face a penalty. I did read a stat during the week, though, that it was, I think it was about 67 70% where the defenders are the ones that are facing the HIA, that they're mm. the ones who have to have to go off, because there's been a lot of conversation about how this process works. Right. Um, you know, Phil Gould was very vocal yeah, in, in opposition mm. to the process mm. this week, uh, and there was a lot of defence of that. Peter Volandis came out and said, you know, it's the best It's the best system we have. It's working well, because obviously you've got the independent doctor mm. working with the club doctors, but a lot of the chat this week, it was interesting to talk about how they have to be complementary in terms of working with each other because the independent doctor needs to recognise the symptoms during the game but, but also be removed from the game because he doesn't have an interest in terms of the club. Yeah, that's right. But, but the club doctors actually know the players, mm. so they know the symptoms. They know the types of concussions in terms of delayed symptoms, um, you know, mm. how they respond to that sort of thing. They go through all of that testing. So they, they know the players, they know what to look for, but the independent doctor needs to be removed from the two clubs, obviously, to keep that integrity mm. in how it, how it works. The world-famous set of six might have a question <laughs> regarding independent doctors. Stand, <laughs> stand by, listeners. The set of six is coming, and there's an independent doctor's question. 
question in there for Tim Burrow and Matt Campbell. Not too far away. Well, the other thing is, do, are we are we leaning and and, and heading towards a situation where we we head to the American football scenario where headgear becomes something part of the game, not quite a, a hard shell, but. Maybe maybe headgear needs to be looked at from the overarching you know body if they if they're serious about it. Well, Luke Keary was asked about this. Luke Keary has started wearing headgear last week and will again today for the Roosters. He said he put it on not because there's any science that proves that headgear mm-hmm. protects from concussion. Yeah. It probably protects from the the cuts that you get from glancing blows, mm-hmm. you know, nicks to the head, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But does it protect you from significant head knocks? There's no science yet. Uh, that we're aware of that says it does. Uh, Luke Keary is purely wearing it in the hope that it might, should he right. have some sort of head knock, and that you know anything I can do to, to uh, make my career as long as possible, I'll do it. He said there, there was a set of headgear at training, I whacked on it, felt all right, so I'm keeping it on. Mm. There you go. The thing is, I mean, we know rugby league's a tough game. It's a brutal sport, and it was you know only a lot more brutal back in the 70s and 80s, and that, that they've brought the game to a more modern point in terms of head knocks, concussions, the knowledge we have around that. But you look at what sports like Rugby Union are doing, they're already a lot further advanced in terms of tackling techniques and the rules. There's a lot... You can't get away with stuff in Rugby Union that you obviously can in Rugby League. So there are those precedents there that we are going down a path where above-the-shoulder contact is, is just... All of that is going to have to be at a point where, you know, like legging in AFL and anything above the shoulder, it's 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 going to be to that point. Mm. Yeah, I don't normally like to buy into alarmism, mm. and I think we get too carried away with political correctness and rules and guidelines in this modern society, but when you have a, a mountain of medical people saying the game has an issue um, and the game's future, unless there are significant changes made, is in doubt, then I, I think you have to, even though you might not want to, you have to listen and you have to change. And that's why much smarter minds than us at NRL headquarters are uh, continually evolving the head injury space. And I w- wouldn't be surprised at all, especially after the Players Association said we are only just scratching the surface, mm. that in future seasons we have mandatory stand-down. So if you mm. fail an HIA on game day, you're not seen for 10 days, 14 days, who, who knows where it goes. So, yeah. you know, in, in 2028, we might be watching a prelim final, see star player A fail an HIA and be ruled out of a grand final. Yeah, and that's an absolute possibility. There's absolutely. no, no that's doubt where we're about going. that. That's absolutely, that's where we're going. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the, the science around it. You know, all the um, the science into the, the brain donations and, and the science that they've done. You, you look at some of these legends of the game that are really struggling in terms of their, their own health and, yeah. it, and has been ailing. And, you know, these are the players that we admired and absolutely adored because they were so tough. You know, but we're, we're looking at the physical impacts of that now. Yeah, my grandma, God bless her, suffered dementia. She never made a tackle in her life. So yeah. my question is, you know, how many of these players, old players, would have picked up dementia anyway? Or is it the result of lifestyle lived that was very different back <laughs> in the 50s and 60s? And when the, But if the medical experts say, no, no, we are seeing these brains mm. different to any other dementia brains we look at, yeah, then you, you can't exploring. argue with that, can you? No, you no, can't. and it is worth exploring. It's like... It's like the AFL conversation right about now about, you know, what was it picked up on and should have should have been better in that space. So, the idea is, you know, this is this is a, a space that we don't know a lot about and something that we have to get on top of. But, you know, the reality of the sport about what has been built on, and and you're right, maybe it is a changing of the whole sport. But, I mean, you know, it's one of those. Some people do dangerous jobs out there, and yep. you know these firefighters that have to go in and do things. They know the risk, 
They wear the risk. That's what they do. That's what they do. Fireman Sav. In uh, in basketball, Maddie, so you're a GM of the Hawks and a former player. If uh, Sam Froling was to get knocked out in round one next season Mm -hmm. uh, and suffer... A concussion. When can he return? Basically, whenever he wants, or are there certain parameters? He has no, to no. It's it, these certain parameters. So okay. There's they're wrapped around. These are over testing the same way as the NRL and the AFL do it. So okay. we do have those. It's not mandatory straight off the bat. So it's more um, in line with what the doctor does. So if you've got Doctor Nick as your, uh, your your sports doctor, you might get back a bit earlier. But <laughs> it's funny you say that because Shay Ely, the one of the Melbourne um, Melbourne uh, United players, has suffered quite badly from um, some. Um, concussions and you know has to make some decisions about what he does in a, in a basketball sense so um, there is players out there that are on watch and as they get deeper and deeper into it like we we actually had a player on our team who was on um, three week mandatory um, sideline if he got another concussion so okay. in, that was in last year one of the training guys so it's not just rugby league it's, it's everywhere yeah Absolutely. Well, let's throw to the first break, boys, because we've got to get into Matty Russell's set of six. Plenty of time to answer his hard-hitting questions. The new player in town, Wollongong City, GWM Haval, and also our good friends at Impact Garage Doors, impacting homes. For 20 years, you're listening to Saturdays in the Gong. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City, GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. We're back here live from Wollongong Golf Club. Uh, Tim Barrow, the Illawarra Mercury Sports Editor, with Hawks great Matt Campbell and Fox Sports broadcaster Matty Russell. Matty, you'll be calling the Roosters and the Warriors this afternoon at 3. The Dolphins take on the Raiders at 5.30. Gee, the Dolphins, can they make it 2 from 2? And the Storm up against the Mighty Bulldogs tonight. I'm, I'm tipping. I'm tipping. There might be a little... I can smell it. There's an upset. There's I an upset. Matty Campbell, at the races yesterday, all Tim Barrow wanted to do was tell me how the dogs are going to beat the Storm tonight. <laughs> well, you, you have a look at that Storm team. Okay, I'll get, I'll get into it. Plenty but There's a question regarding that. All right, well, we'll launch into the set of six. Matt Russell's famous set of six. Six. Don't drop the ball, boys. All right. Okay, hit six us. questions. Let's go. Six hit-ups. What punishment should we give those who throw racist, sexist, homophobic, any sort of inappropriate slurs at football games. Now, life bans have been talked about. I say that's not the way to go. What about you two? Yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, particularly, uh, you know, it's believed he was 15 or 16, the young bloke there. So I don't think he really knows what he's talking about. I think there needs to be an educational process. If he, if he wants to come back to the footy, we'll go and put him through, you know, the educational process of the impact of what those comments actually mean and why it's important. And, you know, if they don't want to do that, we'll then ban them until they do. Yeah, I'm the same. Like yeah, it's got to be uh, it's got to be something, but I don't think it's a life ban. I think it's the education part of it and utilising those people to be able to educate others. Yeah, I'd like to see the player invited to front the person who throws the insult, mm. and if they so choose, walk into a room and and see what happens then. And hopefully, good point. Consequence after that. Hopefully, then that person 
learns, develops, and then uses that as a voice to go forward and say, boys, we can't say this anymore. I did foolishly. I've been educated. You actually get an advocate for change rather than a person sitting bitter and twisted in the corner thinking they're banned from footy for life. Good question. Okay, or good answer, sorry. Great question. Great question. Great question. (laughs) You're on fire. (laughs) Okay, Gutho last night, victim of the independent doctor, pulled off. Cronulla scored two tries in his absence. Uh, Independent doctors in a separate bunker. Is that the way to go? Yes, I'm fine with it because it's cool heads prevail. No, I'm I'm not. I'm against it. Um, unless the unless the panel has been uh, educated and put in place for a long period of time, and they swap games and they fly them around like a like a referee, um, they've got to mix them up so that there is no, you know, bias in that space. But they've got to be an educated sports doctor. You can't just be rolling someone off the street in. You grab their local GP to to be able to do it. So well, they are. I think they're trained medical professionals in a separate bunker looking at the game from afar. People say it should be done at the ground, but at the ground, there's so much going on. Mm. Most people struggle to do their job. Mm. I, I struggle to do my job. Mm. <laughs> so I imagine the, the poor old bunker. Well, I, don't, I don't disagree with it being uh, being called as, a, as another review, maybe a up, like a next level review for that player mm. by, the, by their own doctor into, um, you know, what the results are, then some sort of like they just need a better process, I think. But but Matty, I mean you you've sat on set plenty of sidelines and how chaotic that can be. I mean it comes across very clean and polished in terms of broadcasting and how you guys work with the callers when you are on the sideline. But you know how sort of chaotic it is with players coming and going and all and the stuff staff around that and crowd noise and it's bedlam at times. Okay, twenty twenty five, round one of the twenty twenty five season. The Roosters, who do they have at fullback? Joseph Okususwali or James Tedesco. Both of them are off contract at the end of 2024, even though Swali's just extended. Mm. So you've got a bloke in his early 30s, Tedesco, and a bloke about 21 in Swali'i, who's playing fullback for the Roosters round one 2025. Oh, I'm predicting they've already made their decision. I think they'll keep Swali'i um and have him as the long-term fullback option. There's obviously some issues around how he's managed and um, how they sort of build him up to that. But that's obviously what he wants to do. It'll keep him out of rugby union along the way. I think they're already committed to doing that. Tedesco, I haven't researched how old he is. He'll be about 32 when he comes off contract. He can go and get one more payday for a couple of years. Maybe even go back to the Tigers and their rebuild. I don't know, but I think they're committed. Uh, yeah, I think they're committed too, but I wouldn't say... I, I wouldn't say that they would be Tedesco leaving. I reckon the evolution of the game that I'm seeing from an administrator and a player from basketball point of view is a positionless game coming into the NRL where they'll have multiple guys who can play that kind of role and they'll, they'll filter them in on different spots and rotate through as they play. Okay, I like it. The Dolphins, should they be the Redcliffe Dolphins or just the Dolphins? Yes, yeah, so I'm very, very strong on this. I, I just, not having a geographical attachment... Just, I mean, yeah, you want a broad fan base. You want, um, you want to bring new fans from different areas, but that's where they're from. You know, they've been brought in to be that second Brisbane wider area team. They've been Redcliffe for however many years to get to the NRL, so let them own it. Let them have that. I mean, Matty, we've seen that with the situation with the Hawks, and I've fired that many shots at the NBL yep. through that process when they took that Illawarra name, which to me is one of the most disgraceful episodes in sport that I've been here. Agreed. The Illawarra Hawks are the foundation club in the NBL. They have every right 
to own their own name. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's it's ridiculous to to have no identity geographically for a club. And and look, it, it'll last because it's brand new right now, right? You'll get the shiny, you'll get the bits and pieces from the Dolphins fans across all of, you know, maybe the southwest or the southeast of, um, of Queensland in that space. But reality is they need the hardcore supporters. What happens when they go really crappy for a couple of years? Where, how do they build that culture in the background that keeps fans just turning up and going, geez, I hope they win this time. So yeah, I, I think it's really a poor decision and I think they'll, they'll regret it uh, and they'll change it in the next couple of years. And all, it's all very well now because people know Redcliffe equals Dolphins. But in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, when a new generation comes through, who are the, where are the hell are the Dolphins from? You know, mm-hmm. like that. And look at Super Rugby. When they dropped the locale off their names, just went to the Blues yes. and the Force. Yes. And people, my father, was where the hell is this team from? Mm. And, and drifted away from the sport. So be very, very careful by just having a logo or a slogan, not an actual geographical identity. I would argue so I'm on board with you too. Well, and the biggest thing is that you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to have support in a club when you're not winning. You've yep. got to have something more than just the sport itself on the field. You've got to, got to have an identity as a as a club. You've got to have the fans and the and the sponsors have got to feel part of something that's bigger than just football. They've got to feel part of like a community. They've got to feel part of the the whole organisation. And I think when you take away that geographical location, you take a big part of that away. Now I understand it because we looked at doing it. We obviously. The Illawarra Hawks have played games into Canberra just to try and increase our support, trying to add some value from our sponsorship point of view. But the reality is we have minimal members that come out of the ACT who support the Hawks from like a long-term point of view. They'll come up for a game here and there, but the reality is, you know, you need to find a home. You need to like and own that home and put it in as your foundation of who you are as a club. Well said. Like it. Okay, Melbourne against Canterbury. Baz, this one's for you. Here's the Melbourne spine. Meany, Wishart, Hughes and Grant tonight. So Nick Meany, Tyron Wishart, Jerome Hughes, Harry Grant. Against the dog spine, Hayes Perham, Matt Burton, Kyle Flanagan, Reed Marnie. So with that information, who wins? Dogs or Storm? I'm, I'm tipping the dogs. Burton and Kickout won't play that bad as they did against Manly again this season. Uh, I know there's a bit of hype around Zeraldo and, and where the club's going, but I just think the dogs, they're going to turn up tonight. And if they don't win, they're going to go horribly close. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, just funny watching you with a straight face. <laughs> I'm Spoken not a like a devoted dog. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Matty Campbell, can you breathe there's some hope. rationality? There's a lot of hope in your eyes, not hope in your heart. <laughs> hope in your Bring eyes going on. to this argument. Yeah, no, not a chance. I'll be backing hope in your heart later. <laughs> and then the dogs will win. Agreed. <laughs> I agree. Not a chance. I think the Storm um, are, are showing that they're on that nice little rebuild phase of where they are, and uh, they'll run all over them. Melbourne 2-0. Last question. Don't drop it. We're getting to the kick here. St. George Illawarra, they've been sitting oh, and God, stewing and waiting through the first round and through the second round. They play the final game of the second round as their opening encounter. So do they explode out of the blocks and score the first try, or do they... Play from behind. Oh, no, I think the Dragons are win. I think they're waiting, just itching to get finally get out in the field, given all the drama. I was actually waiting I for another... I didn't ask that. I asked if they'd score first or have <laughs> yeah. to come from behind. No, no, I, th- I think they'll come out of the blocks. It'll be okay. scrappy, but they'll win. And, and score the first try? Yep. Okay. 
Remember that? Gamble responsibly, kiddies. Uh, There's another lot of hope looking in your eyes. M. Campbell, do the Dragons score first against the Gold Coast? I think they might score first. I actually think they get beat, though. And I think they needed another four or five weeks before they'll be ready. I I just, unfortunately, I just don't see them. I haven't seen enough in preseason. I don't even think that they're going to turn up. I was um, just waiting for another drama, another scandal at the club because they've been twiddling their thumbs for two weeks while everyone else has been playing. They've had nothing else to do. The bowl's full. You can't have any more. Matty keeps talking about behind, so I don't want to talk about that kind of stuff on the radio. Well, well, Matty, we need to get to the news, so we better let you to get the Roosters Warriors this afternoon. Stadium, yep. Uh, The Roosters, they'll bounce back, I reckon. Last week has been stinging for a week. I, I wouldn't like to be the Warriors in the early stages tonight, yeah, today, this no, afternoon. Yeah, I think the Roosters will win easy. We're going to head to the news. We'll be back talking to Mitch Jennings about St. George Illawarra. Making news this hour, the receivers for logistics company Scott's are warning of food shortages in supermarkets with half a billion dollars worth of food trapped in storage. Regional areas are set to be the hardest hit. The siege in a Melbourne suburb is over after police stormed the home to find the alleged gunman unconscious. And the United States House of Representatives have voted unanimously to declassify intelligence information about the origins of COVID-19. SEN.com.au Sport is next. Thanks to Bluebet, the true blue Aussie bookie gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Wins in the NRL last night to the Brisbane Broncos in Cronulla. Min Lee is two shots off the pace midway through the second round of the Players' Golf Championship in the United States. Jason Day is a further shot back in the Sydney... Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Well, plenty have already written off the Dragons before a ball's been kicked, Matt, uh, Matty Campbell. Are the Dragons living on a prayer tomorrow? Oh, I think so, unfortunately. And I am a Dragons fan, but yes, I haven't seen enough from the preseason, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see. I'll be watching, though. I'm a fan. Matty Russell's off to call the footy on Fox Sports this afternoon, but joining us now is the Mercury's league writer, Mitch Jennings, to talk St George Illawarra. We've discussed last week at length all the dramas that have gone on during the off-season just to get to round one. The Dragons have had the bye in the meantime, cooling their heels. Geno, finally, we get to see what they've got to start the season. Yeah, indeed. Living on a prayer so fitting, Baz, given your staunch support and belief in the Bulldogs. Uh, <laughs> very, very interesting. Oh, so true, but, mate. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. Um, it's a strange feel coming into this one because, you know, we always talk about the value of trials. Can you read too much into them? And, and all the rest and the charity shield, you know, sparks even more debate than most. And it was that many weeks ago now, and there's been so much gone on, so much discussion around the club. It feels like they're going into their first game of the season on some sort of three or four game losing streak in a lot of ways. People are talking about the future of the coach and how's it going to be, wooden spoon predictions, all this type of stuff. And they haven't even kicked the ball yet. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting. But 
for a, I think in a lot of ways there's a lot on the line more than you typically have in a in a season opener. You know when they take on the Titans because um, it was the Titans that had a win last week and they've always been troublesome for the Dragons. I remember over the years taking them on. So it, I just think people are going to really be looking at every aspect of the performance, what the the body language is like, the morale, and of course what the performance itself offers up. But there'll be a lot of very keen eyes uh, on it for sure. A familiar sort of lineup. A couple of changes from last year. Murdoch Masilla comes in on that uh, left edge. Uh, Thoreau's own Toby Couchman makes his NRL debut. We'll get to see which side of the field Zach Lomax will actually play on to start the season. And obviously Jaden Sullivan starting at six. Talatawa Moan during the week getting the permission to play after originally being stood down under the NRL rule over that assault charge. But because it's being held in a local court, the uh, the length of the penalty is actually now downgraded, which takes him under that threshold. Um, I gather Sullivan's done all the ball work in the lead-up, and so Griffin, while no doubt Amone's been doing all the, the fitness work, hasn't been sort of included in a lot of that first 13 work that they do during sessions. So Sullivan's got the nod. Um, is this basically the best combination that the Dragons are, are going to have this year, You know, given that Amone's probably the X factor to come back in? Well, it is. It's an interesting question, Baz. We spoke about it last week, and I was, you know, I was quite stunned, as as we sort of said, that uh, that the rulings come down this way. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I think there were some people at the Dragons that were, you know, hopeful of this outcome, but certainly not expecting. I guess they've been a bit, uh, maybe some lingering scars from the no fault stand down uh, that they sort of went through with Jack Bell on there for the best part of three years. But it's an interesting question because obviously, had this incident not occurred, had he not been stood down. Uh, Telltale Moan was probably a lock uh, for number six this year. I mean, given that he, um, you know, he had ups and downs start to the season last year, but he finished really strongly and it probably really established a firm hold on that jumper. Uh, it would have been a headache that Anthony Griffin didn't have probably coming into the season as to who he was going to put there. But uh, the no-fault stand-down obviously changed a lot of things. But as it's going to turn out, he's probably... Well, he was eligible for this week, but I'm not surprised he's having a run around in Reggie's first, given he hasn't had a trial and... All those things you mentioned about, you know, the ball work and doing the game prep. So, not surprised he's not playing this week. But does he become available next week? Does he go straight in? Because that would have been the case for a season opener had that not occurred. So, interesting if Jaden Sullivan really takes his opportunity by, you know, the scruff of the neck tomorrow night. It might be a bit of a headache. But I tend to think, you know, should should he become available? Should he be ready? I, I tend to think Talatau Moan will be back in there sooner rather than later. It's interesting too that halves battle Kieran Foran in uh, at 5'8 so you got his experience there with Tanner Boyd at halfback and obviously Ben Hunt's experience uh, with with Sullivan so you know obviously it's that old thing of getting the forwards and getting the metres but uh, Hunt and Foran are going to have a fair say on the, the contest Well yeah they will, obviously they will I think Kieran Foran, I, I think they want in different ways obviously you know Ben Hunt's going to run the show, he's going to be the most dominant player, do all all those things. I think Kieran Foran's in a bit of a position where, you know, he, he his natural inclination would be to take over and do a lot of that stuff. But obviously they want Tanner Boyd to be doing, you know, a fair bit of that as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. It comes down to the halves. But look, the, the forward battle is an intriguing one. I think it's where it'll be where it'll be won. And uh, look, obviously Dave Mafita re-signed this week. He'll be, he'll be sticking around. That'll probably give him a boost. And whether that gives him a boost across the board uh, remains to be seen. But that's, it's an interesting one to look at, Baz, because I thought in the in the charity shield, as much as there was a lot of focus on 
you know, the performance of, of Tyrell Sloan and, and obviously Jaden Sullivan with his little cameo, the, the forwards were abysmal against the Rabbitohs. They just went through them, hot knife through butter. Damien Cook had a field day. And uh, I guess the Titans with their pack, uh, if they get, you know, more than their share of footy, uh, can do a similar thing through the middle. So that's what I'll be looking at. I want to see what the, the men in the middle um, toss up the Dragons this week and see if um, you know they've done some work or at least done some probably it's probably some work between the ears just to, to harden up through that middle and and not not have uh, teams go through on the way South Sydney did. Matty in the set of six with Matty Russell there before he asked the question about the Dragons and scoring the first try and mm. we didn't expand on it but the significance of that to me and why you know there's an expectation is they they need to start well and you know oh it's 20 minutes of the first game of their season yeah but the charity shield the first half they were so awful mm. in that first 40 minutes when Dragons fans are looking to see where their standard is, where they're at. They know Anthony Griffin's under pressure. They know the young players need to have their chance to really stamp their spot this year. And then that 40 minutes was the result. So to me, they, they need to start well against the Titans and really set a tone. Yeah, Mitch said it at the start of the program. It's like it's they've already been written off in a lot of people's eyes. And that's on the back of having some poor years. And this is where the preseason and the first game become really important from a psychic point of view when you're a player or, you know, as a club for your support base is that you've got to get out and showcase um, that you're going to be competitive throughout the year or the supporters will switch off before you even get a chance to start the season. And I agree with you. If they don't come out and, and, and show some real ticker to start the game, um, then, yeah, there'll be a lot of fans that will turn it off and just go find something else to do on a Sunday afternoon. Now, that's not what you want from a Dragons point of view. Um, and they didn't show that in the preseason. Now, even I look at the Illawarra Hawks from my point of view in basketball sense. Last year, brand new coach. It was the preseason was like a proper games from from the coaching staff and the playing group point of view. Yeah. Is that they were like, well, we've got to establish that we're going to be competitive now in the preseason, where some established teams don't take preseason that seriously. Where, but if you're trying to, um, you know, if you're trying to reinvent yourself or you're trying to make a mark, you need to be good in the early parts of the season so that you continue to get your fan base and you know give yourself a chance mentally as well to be competitive throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Geno, stick around. We're going to head to a break, but plenty more to come. Saturdays in the gong. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. 
Yes, a big thanks to our new sponsor, Wollongong City, GWM Haval. Get in there and test drive one today. Also to our great friends at Impact Garage Doors, impacting homes for 20 years. We're live from the magnificent Wollongong Golf Club. It's Matt Campbell and Tim Barrow. Joining us on the line is the Mercury's Mitch Jennings. We're going to talk about the key issues, the back page, the key issues in the Illawarra Mercury this week. Mitch Jennings, I was just reading back every single word in today's Mercury Sport is written by Illawarra Mercury writers. There's uh, plenty of great coverage across all sports there. Um, it's a fantastic section today, including the ta- the talk around the uh, country championships for the, the rugby league competition, which Illawarra and South Coast will play under the one banner, which is interesting given we spoke last week around the restructuring and how a revamped Illawarra competition would work given there's six clubs this year. Oh, we might have lost Mitch. Mm-hmm. Have we got Geno on the line? No, I don't think we have. We'll we'll push on. So the Dragons last year claimed the Open Trophy. Uh, it was it was a win over Northern Rivers. Mm. Um, so that was with Group Seven players. So now this year it'll be Illawarra and South Coast under the one banner. Now we spoke last week about how uh, the Illawarra competition goes back to six clubs this year. Uh, Helensburg won't be playing first grade. Uh, Cronulla Caringbar aren't coming down, so De La Salle is still involved from the Sutherland Shire, and they'll come down again. But the Illawarra competition sort of in a bit of an aw- bit of an awkward spot, just mm. given that um, you know you got Group Seven to the south, yeah. and then the Sydney competitions to the north. But Illawarra, as much as it's a very strong competition, are still back and reduced to a six-team competition, which is obviously uh, pretty hard to manage. Here, are you there, Geno? We got you. I am, mate. Yeah, I missed the start of the conversation, but you, you speak in my language. I can talk about that, <laughs> as you probably heard, but I can talk about that for hours at a hours at a time. But uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. Obviously, they're playing today under that uh, Illawarra South Coast banner uh, at Collegians in the Country Championships against Newcastle. So it's very, very interesting. I was speaking to Wade Forrester. You know, he's coached. He's been coaching this for a long, long time, uh, and it's changed shape so often. These championships. He obviously coached. Uh, they won seven of nine Illawarra division uh, through the country championships, which speaks to you know the strength of, of footy in the region. And uh, he was obviously part of the team that won a three-peat of titles back in uh, 2015 was the last time they did that. But it's, uh, it's changed a lot of shapes since then. It went to being an under-23s competition, then it went to open, but only Group 7 players eligible. Uh, it's really changed shape a lot. But this one, you know, I'm excited to go and watch it. This one seems like a... Uh, it seems like a return to the way, a turn of the natural order. And, you know, guys like Jarrah Boyle and Blake Phillips and Jared Thompson uh, being back underway. Forrester, he said it, yeah, it feels like getting the band back together. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. But to the point, obviously, that you opened with, uh, you know, it's another illustration of what the future, you know, must hold, you know, for footy down in this region now. When you're talking about the Premier Country Championship competition, you've now got Illawarra and Group 7 under one banner representing the region there. So, um, I mean, it, it keeps stacking up, Baz, but uh, like I said, I could go on about it for hours, so I, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we'll have to do a deep dive in, into it uh, one week and do a, do a full segment. But uh, I guess just quickly before we, we head to another break, Geno, you, you spoke to Toby Couchman's father. Um, Toby and Ryan obviously got a great connection to the Thoreau Butchers up there. Talk about the strength of Illawarra Rugby League. What can Dragons fans expect from Toby making his debut against the Titans tomorrow? Well, mate, 
150% effort and just sparing no effort. That's the way they've done it. Remarkable, both boys, and I did speak to to Benny Couchman, their, their old man, and he's a, a legend of the Illawarra League and certainly of the Thrill Butchers Club. And he built it on just being on absolute toughness, hardness, and, and fitness to be able to do it for a long time. So they bring a lot of those qualities. So not a lot of trick plays and that type of stuff, but they're going to go hard and they're going to go fast. And obviously, it'd be great to see them both out there, uh, you know, at, at some stage in the future. But uh, yeah, Toby gets the the jump. I wrote in the paper this morning that. Uh, it was a bit ironic, that's the way they used to do it as kids. Benny, they were at each other's throats when it came to foot races and competing with each other, so he had to put him in a team environment, say, one of you, you run to that bin, come back, tag your brother and see how fast you can both do it. And uh, that's, how he, that's how he separated them and stopped the blow-up. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting when, they, when they're both there in, in a couple. It's a matter of time. Um, Ryan Cashman was obviously an Australian schoolboy in, in 2021 and, you know, has all, has naturally has identical twins, a lot of the, a lot of the similar attributes to, to Toby. So, uh It'll be great to see both of them uh, in the top grade at some point. And, it, you know, it's a type of story that all the things we've touched on, it's, it's something the, um, that type of story and that type of progression is something the St. George Lawara brand could probably use at the moment as well. Jenna, we'll leave you to uh, go and enjoy the country championships and the NRL over the weekend. Plenty more to come on Saturdays in the gong, including we're going to be talking to Brett Canellan about the Attacking Life documentary, which is now streaming on Stan. Stick with us. Plenty more to come. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. On SEN Track. Yes, you're back with Tim Barrow and Matt Campbell. Matty, how's your tipping going? <laughs> going okay this week. Yeah. I'm better this week than I was last week. Yeah, struggled a little bit. Uh, it's been a funny start to the season, but like we talked about earlier in the show, great to see it's close. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I actually went the Rabbitohs on uh, Thursday. So I'm on one. I got the Sharks mm. and took the Cowboys. I look back thinking I've taken three away teams, mm. which, you know, early on, you've got to play it safe, don't you? You do. You do. I've just gone silly. It's so. like the straight bat when you're playing in cricket. You're launching into <laughs> yeah. that first few balls. Get a feel for yeah, it early right. on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a bit of a battle. Um, what have you taken this afternoon, mate? So the Roosters and the Warriors, you think the Roosters will win? I do, I do. I don't think it's going to be as easy as it should be for the Roosters. I think it's going to be a closer game. I like the Warriors. I like what they're building into this year. So um, I don't know if they're quite polished enough just at this stage of the year to be able to get the win. But um, mm. I think the Roosters will just just get in there. I think it'll be close. Dolphins Raiders. Yeah, I think um, I had the Dolphin. I had the Dolphins just on the back of you know them them doing well last week and the dogs by six tonight obviously <laughs> that is a joke <laughs> no uh, chance give, give them strength we've got a huge second hour coming up we're going to be talking group one racing with RaceNet and the daily telegraphs mitch cohen but after nine o'clock we're talking to bombo shark attack survivor brett canellan about his documentary attacking life showing now on stan stick with us plenty more to come saturdays in the gong
Good morning, I'm Mark Braybrook with SEN News. A maiden test entry to Cameron Green is highlighted today when Australia has retained control of the fourth and final test against India. Green made 114 as he and Usman Khawaja shared a partnership of 208 to help Australia to a first innings total of 480. In reply, India was no wicket for 36 at stumps. Green says it was a special moment. Yeah, it's obviously incredibly special. Um, yeah, you dream of it as a child, basically. Um, and especially being a test cricketer, you kind of just want to tick that and kind of move on um, with your career in a way. So, um, no, I'm happy I got over the line. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has rejected China's criticism of Australia's decision to acquire nuclear submarines, saying it did not need to be at the expense of improved relations with China. Australia is set to purchase five US Virginia-class boats, which the Chinese Communist Party says is a serious nuclear proliferation risk. A man has been charged after allegedly assaulting two police officers at Sydney's Central Railway Station at peak hour yesterday. Both officers were hospitalised, one with a dislocated shoulder, the other a broken nose. A 25-year-old man will appear in court this morning. The week-long search for the winner of the Powerball $40 million first prize is over after a man from Western Australia was surprised to be told that he was the one holding the winning ticket. SEN.com.au Sport is next. Thanks to Bluebet, the true blue Aussie bookie. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Corey Oates will undergo surgery today after breaking his jaw in the Broncos' 28-16 win over North Queensland. Earlier, Cronulla defeated Parramatta 30 points to 26. And the Kings have beaten the Breakers 91-68 in the NBL Grand Final. Visit them for a test drive today. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. I've done it again, Matty Campbell. The, jump the gun. The musical intro, adding a bit of flavour to your Saturday morning, and I've gone and jumped the gun again. We're live from Wollongong Golf Club, a beautiful Saturday morning. Hope you're enjoying your morning wherever you are around the Illawarra. Matt Campbell and Tim Barrow here on Saturdays in the Gong with thanks to the GWM Haval. And joining us this morning, it's a pleasure to have uh, an inspirational man who... Well, your life was turned upside down in 2016, and you've... You know, fought back to do one of the world-famous um, paddles for, across Hawaii, 54-kilometre event, and it all features in a new documentary called Attacking Life, showing now on stand. Good morning to you, Brett Canellan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, um, I want to just, I guess, sort of set the scene with a bit of a, a taster of the documentary. So we'll listen to a bit of the documentary, and then let's have a chat. Good evening. A shark attack at Okayama Beach has left one of the South Coast's most promising young surfers with severe injuries, losing a significant portion of his thigh. After a wave had just gone over the top of him, I heard this blood-curling scream for help. It was this realisation that 
my worst nightmares are really coming to, to fruition, like right in front of me, and I'm watching it and I can't do anything about it. His face was lifeless, basically. That just said it all for me. And this is the most profound moment, the feeling of, you know, is this what it feels like to die? Brett, yeah, it was a compelling story. Uh, I watched it on Thursday night, um, a fantastic documentary. Um, it must just be extraordinary to be at this point in your life and to be able to, I guess, have that perspective and to be actually be able to watch that journey from a shark attack in 2016 where you were lucky to survive um, to the, you know, the triumphs that you've done of being able to, one, tell your story uh, and live the life you do, but also um, just the great achievements that you've done, including the Molokai Challenge, which is a, a 54-kilometre paddle uh, from Molokai to Oahu in Hawaii. So um, how have you sort of found it this week in terms of the perspective of watching yourself on film and, and the journey that you've had? Yeah, it's been, it's been funny. I think uh, it's weird when you do take in, you know, the enormity of, like, what it is to finish this project and to have it there where people can finally see it because it's been... It's been such a long time coming, not only just making of the film, but obviously it's been, you know, 2016. When you look back on it, it's quite a long time ago. And, you know, it's a type of story that I easily could have told sooner, but a big part of me wanted to wait until I guess I was in the right spot um, and I felt comfortable with sharing what I'd been through, but also at a point where I think it would tell a valuable story and one where people can start to take things away for themselves because... Yeah, at the start, it's really about the attack and then it's about the recovery after that. And then as I kind of moved on through life, it was more about, well, what can I learn and take away from the attack, not only for myself, but then to pass on to other people. And you know, all these years later, being able to have something that is a true showcase of all that is, you know, it's something that I can be very proud of and, and not only me, but everyone that's worked on the project. So we'll set the scene for the listeners who sort of aren't really across your story. It's seven years ago now. Uh, now, I watched the documentary, you, you said you had a, a bad day, you're on the way home, and you've decided, right, I'm going to go and have a surf at Bombo, cool the, you know, cool the head, let off a bit of steam, and uh, you know, we've all had bad days after work and want to go for a swim or whatever, and then all of a sudden, your life just turns upside down. You're going to catch a couple more waves before you go in and finish the day, and then a bull shark just turns your life completely upside down. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the best way of saying it because a lot of people ask me, like, was, was there anything that you, you, know, you experienced or saw or knew throughout the day where you were like, oh, this is going to be a significant day? And there's, there's nothing really there. I always say it's just a regular day that something completely irregular happened in. Um, those, those moments in life, I guess, we all experience probably not through a shark attack, but those, you know, fork in the road type moments or, or the line in the sand type moments, so to speak, where... You know, these events happen or these realizations or just these things that you experience in life occur where you know you can kind of you realize things are going to really change um, and obviously this is a very significant way of gaining that perspective but I think that day you know it's something that is always going to live with me and it's something I speak about all the time and I'm, I'm lucky to have that experience and to remember that and have the vivid memories of it not only for myself and the way that I tell it but also in order to tell it impactfully for other people because I know the way that I look at my experience and I always say like it's not about what happens to you but it's about how you respond I know for me particularly that would mean to not talk about the attack but you, you kind of need to in a way because it's something that does engage people it is so interesting and so so novel and unique that you have to share that part of the story 
so then people are you know they're engaged they're listening and and you can see that through the documentary like it does start out with the attack but that's that's really the hook i suppose for lack of a better term to share things that are such you know that are far more impactful and greater later on yeah how long did it take you to get some perspective i guess on one you know having gone through that experience which is one physically traumatic and obviously being lucky to survive but you know the mental approach the recovery the the difficulties you've you've had um, muscle grafted from your back to your leg and having to regain all the strength I mean that's a long process obviously yeah I guess there's little landmarks along the way where you kind of gain bits of perspective Um, the the major ones for me first of all is probably around support and just knowing that Know, how how lucky I was in my particular situation to look around and see the people that are there to support me. That that was amazing, and I think something that we often don't realise until we need it the most. So that that was one of them. Another one was um, a message from my physiotherapist Scott Mutton, who you know, that essentially set up my entire recovery. And you don't fail by aiming too high and missing, but we fail by aiming too low and hitting, and that completely changed my perspective on setting goals and the recovery itself. And then. I guess the perspective when you get towards what you would consider is the end of the journey and getting back in the water and surfing again and kind of realizing, you know, the difference between the person who is essentially standing on the surfboard and the person laying in the hospital bed and what that person's been through and all the things they'd learned along the way. And I suppose that's the beauty of challenge is in the moment, it is really hard to see all the good things that could come out of it. But when you are, you know, at what you would consider the other end you can look back and, and really take away some amazing things that that really shape you know the the person going through it moving forwards yeah in the um in the doco and obviously through the story you talk about that moment when looking staring straight in the shark's eyes and feeling like this is the end from that point of view that um you know in general we don't want to have those experiences to really bring out the best in people but it's obviously been able to shape the way that you know you're able to impact lives of other people right now and you know I've obviously seen about and read about the bike club and bits and pieces that that are around with um, shark attack survivors and bits and pieces and I'm sure that inspiration from that point of view so what are some of the other things I mean obviously you know, we hear the story, we understand the shark attack part of it, but, you know, what are some of the other um, impacts and some of the other things that you have come across that you didn't think would come out of, you know, this experience from your point of view? I think one of the main things that people think about or associate the story with is resilience, which is true. Like, it is a story of resilience, especially with, you know, the you know, being attacked by a shark, having mm. the physical injuries and working your way back from that to a point of triumph. And that really that point of view that i commonly encounter is physical and i think something that i realized early on is that the recovery is is two separate pathways there's the physical recovery and trying to learn how to walk again and overcome all those obstacles there to hopefully get back in the water and surf again but in order to take the first step on that journey there's this other mental resilience that needs to happen over here and that's combination of grappling with the trauma of what's just happened looking at your mental health and then trying to figure out what you can do to look after that side of you, uh, which, you know, at the time I had, I knew nothing about, I was essentially learning that on the fly. And those things that I learn about myself in, in those moments are, are incredibly impactful and powerful. And if I go back to the difference between the person standing on the surfboard mm-hmm. and the person laying in the hospital bed, I can guarantee if you put the person laying on, that was standing on the surfboard back in the hospital bed, they're not going to get back on the board quicker necessarily, but they're going to be far better equipped to deal with that challenge where, you know, the the person I was at the time in that moment had no idea. Mm, yeah, that mental strength that you learned through, you know, unfortunate 
injury and yeah. you know trauma has been able to put you in a better spot and if you could take that back to the older you yeah what what kind of athlete would have you been at that time how much better could you have been as a surfer so it's interesting because when i mean talk about it from a sporting point of view the challenges as an athlete especially in the professional environment that we see in footballers and all those kind of bits and pieces that that mental side of the game that that is front and center nowadays but still not really pushed as hard as it possibly could be uh, and the reality is you look at someone like a tiger woods playing golf who goes from being um, untouchable at world's best into you know some bits and pieces happen outside of it to being uh, not making cuts on tournaments and you just go the mental side of uh, who we are as people not just sporting people is such an untapped um, part of life and I, I, I see that they're doing some mental health stuff into school kids now which is very important I saw Guy Sebastian doing some of that stuff and I think that's it's it's a really important part of who we are as 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 people and something that's come to fruition now through unfortunately adversity through people have been through challenges so it's such a great story and so excited that you can come and share it with us on the radio. Oh, it's it's always a pleasure to share the story. It's something I realised early on. It's it's something I'm going to have to do, and there's power and impact in that. And I guess going back to what you just said about using the sports people as an example, I think they're the most common examples we see because they're the characters that we see in life. Because it, you know, sports is something everyone follows in different capacities. But you know, the real challenge with someone like a Tiger Woods or anyone who goes through those those issues where it might be an injury or things off the field that affect them it's really challenging their purpose and their identity of who they are and mm. everyone goes through something like that sure. and it might not be through a sport but someone who could go through something where it challenges their ability to work and their career or you know their relationship and the belonging that they have in their family so these challenges are, are not just limited to you know people that a lot a lot of people like put on a pedestal and and, mm. and look at in such a positive way but they're things that we all experience and that's what makes a story like this and just challenge and adversity in general so relatable for people mm. you grow up as a, a, a potential world surf tour that's obviously the the dream uh, obviously had talent as a surfer and and you know in another world that you may may well have gone on to to do that but you talked about it so well in terms of um when you got back on a board and started to actually enjoy your surfing again about being through everything that you've been through to sort of end up the same person that that you were um how i mean is that a difficult process that you know you carry this dream for such such a long period of your life and then you sort of get back to the point where you're enjoying your surfing again and think that's not what i want to do yeah there's there's definitely you have to ask yourself that question um i mean the the dream of being a surfer is something i carried from the, the moment i stepped on a surfboard when i was 11 years old so it's not easy to let that go in a way and it's, it's not an easy thing to achieve either there's only 34 people in the world that get to surf on the world tour and you know like you said in an, in another world maybe it would have happened maybe it wouldn't have and that's they're the unknowns that you can't really predict or you can't really tell the story of yeah. but the when I did get back to a point of surfing like you said and I was kind of you know starting to compete again and I, I was I actually had to take a step back and, and look at the whole situation and I think that takes a a bit of maturity in a way to, to you know realize where you're at and you know that bit of self-awareness to know that you know you've just been through something significant and you can use this as an opportunity to you know become a different person afterwards if i was to go back down the route of trying to make it as a professional surfer again 
I don't know where that would have led. I don't know if that would have been better or worse than what I'm doing now, but it's just a decision that I made based off the fact that, you know, this, this whole experience, the attack itself is, if you look at the picture as a whole, it has given me this story that I didn't have before. It's given me an opportunity to make an impact on people that I never had with, you know, selling surfboards or surfing, you know, where you can share something about you and offer a perspective or just a different way of looking at things for people outside of your story. And, for me, I always say that although the attack and the shark itself took so much away from me, you know, the dream, the physical, obviously, um, it gave me so much more just as far as purpose and identity moving forward. And, and that's something that obviously didn't happen immediately. It takes a lot of time and you do have to get to those points where you ask yourself the hard questions. But when you can look at the positives that have come out of it, I think that when I look at it, was a, a huge point where I could, you know, say to myself, maybe the surfing thing I can just look at it differently. It's not like I completely stop surfing. It just means, uh, it just means something different to me now, where I surf more to enjoy it, and that's probably a good thing as well. <laughs> yep. I, I really enjoy going out in the water. Mm. I enjoy surfing on different surfboards and yeah. and just spending time out there. And I'm not as serious, and I'm not angry when I'm falling off. And <laughs> I just enjoy it more, um, and and that has its own value in it. But I think that that point where I could say to myself okay well if if I am going to look at it like that how can I use this story to help other people and that's what's led me to you know do the film do the speaking mm. that I'm doing and, and, and all of that and it's something that wasn't easy because I'm not a natural speaker I don't feel comfortable <laughs> talking to people like I don't like hearing my voice but you have to overcome that if you have the purpose of knowing that your story can help other people one thing I love in the documentary and it's, it's got a lovely flow of matching the experience that you went through with the the shark attack and then um, handling the Molokai challenge which if you'll stick around after the ad break we we'll, might go in more depth about mm. the actual paddle itself can't wait to hear that but the the flow of the documentary it sort of matches the two up beautifully that the recovery and all the difficulty you went through and then you've set yourself this enormous challenge of paddling 55 kilometers which the best Ironman in the world struggle to sort of get through and the the challenge that you have to do just to get through that given that you've gone through you know a couple of years of COVID and all the setbacks with that on top of everything else but one thing I loved is when you went to Sumatra in the documentary and the freedom of surfing again because part of that documentary it actually it becomes like a, a, a 90 surf film for the full, sort of five minutes you've got the back tracks I can't stand on a board for my life but my best mate's dad used to show us the old VCR 90s surf <laughs> movies you know and they have the Beach Boys style all the background music and I absolutely love that because it sort of showed that you've got freedom in your life and that you're enjoying your surfing there that was probably the <laughs> the funnest part of the film to make, I guess. Like, it's something that's natural. I know how to surf, and like, it that was good. Like, we were going on trips and trying to chase waves, and that's that's fun. And as well for Sam, who who was doing all the filming and and helping make the movie with me, that's where he sort of started everything as well. Being you know surf filming, and that's natural to him. And that was the easy thing. Like, we had that surf segment edited and ready to go before anything else <laughs> so um, it was it's nice and that that's the part where you know it's kind of like the climax of of getting back to this point of like you can surf again but then you know how well and that for me like when we watched it we did a private screening um, up in Sydney and just had all the people that worked on the film and friends and family and it's getting to points in that and people are cheering it's, it's a really nice moment in the film and obviously it's a, a moment that a lot of people relate to but it's it's also nothing that people haven't seen because I have been surfing like that for a number of years but 
that was yeah I, I loved that part of the film just for for making it for putting it together and for just seeing it all all there as well is is an amazing feeling we're talking with uh brett canellan the 2016 shark attack survivor at bombo uh they've just released the documentary attacking life showing now on stand we're going to talk about the molokai challenge so we'll head to a break and we'll chat more about the great challenge of your life paddling 54 kilometers in hawaii there's a new player in town wollongong city gwm havel Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Yeah, we're back here Saturdays in the Gong live from Wollongong Golf Club with thanks to GWM Haval. Get in there and test drive one at Wollongong City Motors now and our good friends at Impact Garage Doors. It's Tim Barrow, the Illawarra Mercury Sports Editor. Hawks great Matt Campbell and joining us is Brett Canellan who survived the shark attack in 2016 and has taken on one of the great paddling challenges in the world, a 54-kilometre paddle across Hawaii from Molokai to Oahu. Now, it's all in a documentary showing on stand now called Attacking Life. Now, Brett, originally the documentary was going to be a bit of a short short film. Your friend Sam Tolhurst who's part of the Sydney Kings team heading mm-hmm. to the Breakers today. He's a photographer and videographer with the, the Kings. They're going to try and seal the series over there but doing the documentary I guess it just it came to life over a period of time where it got to the point that it's a full length documentary. Yeah, it started off as what was meant to just be a five minute intro video for when I do my speaking so just to provide a bit of context at the start of a keynote and we filmed for a little while, edited together this five-minute piece and then showed a few people and everyone we showed it to was like, that's incredible, but you've, you you can't just leave it at that. You have to do more and it, five minutes turned into 20 minutes and then all of a sudden we were sort of writing out a bit of a storyboard for a 90-minute feature film. So it, it definitely expanded a lot from, from where it first was and when it expanded, it, it gave us a chance to look a little bit deeper than just what a lot of people think of when they think about my story, which is essentially what I say and being able to bring in other characters like you know the people that were there on the beach to save my life like my parents like the physio the surgeons all these other people that helped tell the complete story was such an important part of of providing something that really was more than just the attack um, and that's kind of where we started with and then we just built it out from there and yeah it has been over three years since that first thought of making the five minute video but but here we are so the, the challenge itself, you go through a couple of years of COVID. It's obviously a competitive event in itself. The top Ironman take it on. Um, you know, it's, there's many that come from all over the world to compete in it. But then it comes through COVID and you had a couple of years of cancelling it. And you get to the end of that and go, well, stuff it, I'm going to do it by myself. Just talk us about when that idea that you would take the challenge on materialised and then I guess through to the point where you're like, um, it's, if I can't compete in it in this competition, I'm just going to do it. Yeah, well, the idea of paddling the Molokai came about before even 
you know doing the film came about as well and that was just a friend of mine Nick Clifford who he we'd just done a 100 kilometer walk for Oxfam and we were kind of looking at challenging ourselves in a different way and he's like have you heard of the Molokai and I was like no but it sounds like a, a good challenge we'll, we'll give it a crack sounds and, great yeah not knowing what yeah. was I just blindly followed him into that mm. we got the boards started paddling started enjoying it a lot and kind of prepping up for for this first year that it was going to be on and that was the year that COVID hit that's obviously a setback and then we we kind of put it on ice for a bit but kept paddling and Nick had other things happen in life he bought a house had a child and I was all of a sudden just looking at this by myself <laughs> and he it was kind of a, the second year had passed where COVID cancelled it again and at that point we hadn't considered really making it a part of the film yet and it wasn't until the third year when it got cancelled and I was looking at it and talking to Sam about it because at that point he was a little bit interested in coming over and filming it and just the idea of, of featuring it as part of a film especially as something that you know it, it was not going to run it as an event and that we just kind of I, I at that point was like I'd love to just go over there and do it anyway and he was like that's actually a perfect example of your story like you've been told you can't do all these things by doctors and you've come back and and proved them wrong and you know having the Molokai being cancelled so many times is similar to that so the notion of just going over there to do it is perfect. Not not only that, it means that you're going over there to do it for you and not to win the event so much. And I mean, I wasn't going to go win it anyway because of how how hard I found it and how <laughs> how long it took me. But doing it outside of the event was it had its own significance um, is to it, the story. Is it a reflection on the challenge, I guess, that you've been through? Because like the the challenge of coming back from the injury in bits and pieces was a very lone challenge, although you had great support and Scott Martin around you and all the bits and pieces around. But the reality of coming back from it is is it's a very individual thing, I'm, assu I'm sure, to come back from such an injury and then to go and do that you know, forty uh, the the fifty four kilometer paddle across you know one of the deepest stretches of water that we know seven hundred meters deep. They call it the bumps, right? With the bits and pieces that go on out there, and that challenge mentally that you've had to come back from um, was it like a, the cream on the top from your point of view of getting back to physically where you were to to to, to be able to do it? Yeah, I think so. It's there's a. I mean, that's the beauty of this is there's so many things that relate to, you know, the, the attack and the recovery. Mm. Um, and like you said, it, it is something that you do solo and there's a lot of things that you, you do by yourself and it is for you. But at the end of the day, you have a lot of help to get you through it. And it's mm. the same for the paddle. Like, I'm, I'm out there. I'm the only one that can get me through it. And these two arms here to, to, to you know, paddle each individual stroke. But, you know, it was the guys that were there on the boat, you know, shouting support. It was having, um, you know, Brad Gall, who's paddled it almost 20 times, yeah. knowing that he's done it before and he's given me little words of advice. And having all those people help me through it was, was I think, as well, another great parallel to draw back to, to the story, as you said, having Scotty and all the people help me through the recovery yeah, wonderful. Was, was huge. Brett, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, I watched the documentary the other night. It is absolutely fantastic. It's compelling to watch, but a, a, a really specially done documentary. I, I enjoyed every second of it. Thanks for joining us on Saturdays on In The Gong. All the best for the future. We're going to head to news. We're going to come back and we're going to start talking about some Group 1 racing this afternoon.
Making news this hour, a siege in Melbourne has ended after police stormed the house and found the alleged gunman unconscious. The man has been taken to hospital in a critical condition. Two police have been hospitalised after an alleged assault by a man at a Sydney train station during peak hour. Carlton and United say its new super strength beer won't be sold in the Northern Territory due to alcohol-fuelled violence in some regions. And an eight-year-old girl who was kidnapped from a US shopping mall five years ago has been found safe and well. SCN.com.au Sport next. Thanks to Bluebet, the true blue Aussie bookie. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Corey Oates has suffered a broken jaw in the Broncos' 28-16 win over the Cowboys. Earlier, Cronulla edged past Parramatta 30 points to 26. And Minwoo Lee is two shots off the lead during the second round of the Players' Golf Championship in the United States. City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Yeah, Kembla Grange trainer Kerry Parker taking his best shot at a Group 1 this afternoon in the Coolmore Classic. Hope in your heart, taken all before her so far, gets to the uh, Coolmore Classic as an $8.50 chance. Joining us on the line now is Racenet and the Daily Telegraph's Mitch Cohen. Good morning to you, Mitchell. Good morning, Tim. That was a beautiful segue. Was a good segue, wasn't it? Some of my some of my better radio work, mate. What have you got in terms of uh, winners today? Can we back the uh, the local Illawarra hope in the Coolmore? Well, I'll be backing it, Tim, and I think you will too. Um, comfortably back as well. I think she's been absolutely outstanding for Kerry Parker. Look, she's obviously got the A line form line. I think from the spring, which is always that golden eagle we've seen. I wish I wouldn't come out since then and run a, run a bottler in, 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 the, new, uh, sorry, in, the, um, in the Lightning Stakes first up. But, um, look, she's come back from a spell previously uh, um, racing in, in, in lower company but racing pretty well back from spells. But she's in that sort of A grade now, so... There's nowhere to hide, but um, she came back from the school and ran in the group and ran enormous. She was excellent. Obviously, there's a few behind her that I think a few form spotters are looking at and going, oh, Mustang Valley and one if it got out or, or yearning. But um, look, at the end of the day, she won the race and she won it well. That guy Walter, which only two horses in the past have come through that guy Walter Stakes and won the Cornwall Classic. I think she can be the third. I think she's just a just a gun there, um, and she's got a gun trainer in Kerry Parker. He's um, you know, only got sort of twenty or thirty horses, so probably uh, closer to thirty. Uh, but she's gets the best out of him, doesn't he? 
Yeah, and it's just such a great opportunity for Kerry, given the issue with Think It Over, you know, winning the Queen Elizabeth last year, then having the tendon injury. Still hopeful that uh, Think It Over will play a role in the spring, but it's a long-term injury. And then for Hope in Your Heart to sort of come in and fill the void in for the stable. I just, I love the way that that she attacked the line when she got the clear air there first up. Um, And I just think she gets a really nice run in behind the speed uh, today and and will get her opportunity to win that Group 1. odds too right so we're, we're talking 850 at the moment and two dollars 90 for a place like it's a it's it's really the value i see in the actual field itself yeah and the bookies seem to sort of not want to learn their lesson there mm-hmm. they, they keep being willing to sort of take her on in some of these big races she's come through those group three grades up to group one level and as mitch said you know she's got nowhere to hide today but if she's going to a doncaster next start this is where she sort of needs to be so um you know i just think it's a great opportunity it's a good race but anavisto's drawn wide hinged is drawn wide so I think she gets the right sort of run. No, exactly right, boys. I think um, it, it's it's the classic thing with the with I guess these provincial trained horses, and I guess the, always the question is if it if it had a C Waller next to the name or a, or a Snowden next to the name, is it the same price? Probably not. But that's I don't think that's um, a complete disrespect to to the the Parker name in itself. I think you, you know you get your everyday punters who who just gravitate towards those horses. I don't think there's anyone in the industry that um, doesn't rate Kerry Parker as a, as a, as a very good trainer. Um, but yeah, when you have the, when you have money from, I, I guess, the everyday punter, they, they don't know yet Kerry Parker's or, 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 your, or your sort of provincial trainers in, in the same way as they would those major stables. But um, look, it is great for Kerry, let's be fair. Um, thinking over... Geez, one of the stories of last autumn, really winning that Queen Elizabeth Stakes at, at forty to one, um, in what was billed really before the race as one of the great Queen Elizabeths. I mean, Animo's finished last in the race, or, or, or near the back anyway, albeit on a very, very heavy track. And thinking over his head, out Zaki, who's won them to win a couple of Group Ones. We had very elegant there, just a, just a, an all-time great. Queen Elizabeth Stakes and Kerry just won that race with his best horse and then obviously uh, I guess tragedy struck um, and we, we may never see him at his peak again so for him to have a mare like this going great guns um, look, it's well deserved Yesterday, the Kembla Grange Classic. Uh, I was down there on track yesterday afternoon, enjoying myself. Mitchell, as you knew, you know, I would be uh, Pavitra for the Richard and Will Friedman Stable. Uh, a pretty impressive win. I backed uh, Call Die, so I gave my early winnings back. But um, yeah, a, a pretty, uh, pretty impressive Group Three success there yesterday. If that's not a Group One winner in waiting, I don't know what is. That was absolutely outstanding yesterday. She obviously ran first in the Oaks, uh, sorry, second in the Oaks during the spring, spring behind She's Extreme. And I remember Will Friedman um, said slightly afterwards that, look, I don't think um, wait six months to see the best of this filly. She's going to be awesome. And, and didn't we see that yesterday? She was absolutely dazzling, really. Um, I know the second horse was so dazzling, but she was... She was unreal yesterday. I think if, you, if you're lining up your form and, and you're looking towards a, a binary stud stakes um, and, and even an oak, she's the horse you want to follow. I think she's she's a very nice horse going forward. I thought um, Call Dye looked to be travelling in the run, but um, she just didn't let down as expected. She was well-backed, obviously, um, one of the blue bloods in the field, a, a daughter of uh, 
Frankel out of Samantha Miss, the three-time Group 1 winning Oaks there. So, um, yeah, she she just didn't let down as expected, but uh, all, all honest to the winner, she was unreal. Also got the new market today down at Flemington, which will obviously be a ripping race down the straight. Uh, down there, what have you found there, and, and what's your best today? Uh, best overall would be uh, well, a couple of Sydney bets, but um, down there in Melbourne, uh, look, this new market, I think it's a cracking race, to be honest, it always is. I like, um, I want to stick with Private Eye. Um, look, he was obviously excellent last spring, um, nearly winning in Everest, um, when I guess it was a bit of thought, easier sprinter, easier miler, um, I think he's pretty versatile and can win big races at both but um, I want to see him back down the straight he's had a couple of trials to warm up um, last spring when he went down the straight before he got that Everest berth he was he was very dynamic down the straight so uh, I want to see him down the straight again today um, look Barry's don't matter too much in the new market as long as you can find a spot um, they'll probably gravitate towards the outside fences they have been recently so maybe the two's not the best barrier but um, yeah I'm excited to see him back he's been given three trials he's been primed for this around that eight dollar quote's pretty nice but um, in Sydney um, look I'm going to hedge a lot of multis um, around the, the far up states this one was one sixth of the last eight editions of far up states um, and this really um, comes through the fly states where Genuinely, a, a few of his, his winners in this race have won in the spring and then won this race. She was obviously scratched from the Coolmore Classic for this. Um, so I'll head a few multis around that. And I want to have a sneaky bet in the sky high. Um, oh, well, I did want to have a sneaky bet in the sky high, but uh, it's been scratched, Kira. It's uh, in the... Uh, sorry, I'm just looking through. Uh, in, as I said, in the Coolmore, hope in your heart. And earlier on in the day, I think you can comfortably back in race for the Magic Knight, Steel City. Steel City returning after having no luck whatsoever in the Blue Diamond. Uh, form around two of the Golden Slipper Hot Pots in learning to fly in red resistance at the last two city runs. She finished about less of a length away from both. Um, they're two of the Hot Pots in the Golden Slipper, and I think uh, Steel City can prove that she could win a Golden Slipper if she backs up in seven Very good, mate. Well, the punters can follow your tips this afternoon. Go well there up there at Rose Hill. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're going to come back. We're going to talk NBL Grand Final Series. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. You're back with Tim Barrow and Matt Campbell. Matty, the Sydney Kings, made a big statement defending the title 
They're only one game away now after a 91-68 to 68 win over the New Zealand Breakers. They head to New Zealand today to play the Breakers over there for game four tomorrow afternoon. I'm going to go to the big impact moment for Impact Garage Doors. It's the Illawarra's own Xavier King, Xavier Cooks. Walton now needs to go. Gets to the paint. Brownlee sends it out. Oh, my goodness. The roof of the building, Xavier Cooks from nowhere with a two-hand tip jam off the deflected Jarrell Brantley block. If he didn't already have back in the year, you'd say that was it. The roof is off the building. Gee, a great call there by the SEN team covering the game there yesterday. The Kings, they lost game one. We mm. talked about the history last week of teams who lose game one, very rarely come back to win it. But, gee, they've turned it around, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, they have. It's, I mean, you know, that dunk that Dave Cooks did in front of 18,000 people up there in Sydney was just phenomenal. And uh, he had a couple of big jams going down the middle, and he is from the Illawarra. Unfortunately, can't get him to play for the Hawks. But, <laughs> yeah, I, they're, they're in a commanding position now. That What they did over in New Zealand without, say, Cooks and Walton Jr., their import, um, two of the you know best players in the league um, to win over in New Zealand to get back on home court advantage and then take care of business uh, last night, really sets them up, um, sets themselves up for for you know getting back to back championships. So pretty exciting series. It's um, interesting. I think there was a ten minute period where uh, New Zealand didn't score a field goal. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I think that's the underestimated part of what the Sydney Kings defensive unit can do. Um, you know, everyone talks about how good they are offensively in bits and pieces, but the reality is defensively, and we talk about it on all across all sports, defence wins championships, and what they were able to do there in that 10-minute period was quite extra- extraordinary and set himself up there in the in the box seat to win another championship. The Washington Wizards would be loving this. I mean, they've signed Xavier Cooks. He's been mm. playing banged up, yeah. but he's just that tough type of competitor that when and the game's there to be won. He just makes the impact. Well, it's the reality of what they're actually after too. It's um, you know it's a showcase of who he is. The last couple of years, um, Xavier Cooks's development as a player has been phenomenal, but his development as a leader has been the real part that I've noticed. Um, you know, in in watching him play night in night out, he's evolved from a, a very talented basketball player into an all-round great basketball human and I think that's what um, the Washington have looked at and gone you know what do we need from an NBA point of view because they have their superstars and for the people that don't watch a lot of the NBA you're talking about the extreme talent of some of the US based players um, but trying to mix them in with all superstars um, it, it's it's basically an all-star game every time they step on the floor so the role-playing opportunities um, especially with the Australian talent that we have and that's the reason why we've got 12 guys playing in the NBA right now. The NBL 1 launches this weekend. The Illawarra Hawks hosting Maitland Mustangs. The women at 5pm. The men at 7pm. The great Tim Conrad. He might have retired from the NBL, but you can't get him off a basketball court. He'll be uh, he'll be featuring in the game. You're heading down to the snake pit? Sure will be. Yeah, if anyone wants to come and have a beer with me, I'll be there at uh, pretty much at 5pm. Open so, invite. Yeah, open bar, yeah, open invite. Yeah, the NBL 1. Great, great night out in the Illawarra. Um, you know, come and support if you're out there and you've got to find something to do, even if you want to come along for a little bit. Just check it out. The bar's open and it's uh, a great spectacle to watch the NBL 1. Well, it was a sellout in Sydney. Hopefully it'll be a sellout down there at the pit tonight when the Illawarra Hawks <laughs> launch their season. Stick around Saturdays in the gong. We're going to wrap it up shortly. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track.
There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Yeah, thanks for joining us this morning on SEN Track Illawarra. Saturdays in the Gong, 15.75am or on the app or the website. Matt Campbell, Tim Barrow. It was great to have Brett Canellan on this morning, wasn't it? I mean, his story is just so inspirational to survive a shark attack. And not just that, but then to you know build his body back up, to be in a good place mentally as well as physically, and then take on a 54-kilometre paddle. You know, I mean, I get out of bed in the morning and need a couple of anti-inflammatories for my back yeah. just, just to get around, and, you know, he's just such an inspiration. Yeah, and you, we hear about it all the time. It takes some sort of a major event of some sort to get inspiration out of people and, and to tell that story, and he's using that platform very well, and he speaks so passionately and from the heart. It's, uh, you know, it's the reality of, you know, sometimes we get caught in our own little bubble about, you know, it's going to rain and they can't wash the cars compared to, you know, some of the life-threatening injuries people have and the adversity they go through so mm. yeah it's a, it's a good reality check it's good to hear these kind of stories and to you know motivate uh, us as normal people to go out and be a little bit better yeah absolutely i mean having watched attacking life it's showing now the documentary live on you know on showing streaming on stan uh it's just fantastic viewing it matches up his the shark attack and the incident itself his recovery as well as the challenge of going to hawaii and competing just doing it solo mm. to paddle uh that 54 kilometers um it's just a fantastic insight into his life and and the way he was able to recover the nrl this afternoon the roosters take on the warriors at three o'clock the great matt russell will be calling that the dolphins can they make it two from two against the raiders at 5 30 and then the storm taking on the mighty bulldogs at 7 30 tomorrow the tigers and the knights at four before st george illawarra finally <laughs> finally get their season underway maddie i didn't detect a hell of a lot of confidence in your voice before no, about the dragons no i don't have a lot of confidence in i hope they win i really do but um they haven't shown enough so far in the preseason for me to be able to say they're going to win tonight thanks to brett canillan thanks to mitch cohen mitch jennings and matt russell to gwm haval and to impact garage doors it's been another ripping edition of saturdays in the gong join us next week 8 to 10 a.m 15.75 or on the app or the website sen track illawarra saturdays in the gong